This is Mia Ashton for Public, and I'm joined today by Dr. Michael Bailey. Mike, Dr. Bailey is a psychology professor and sex researcher at Northwestern University in Chicago, and recently co-authored a paper on rapid onset gender dysphoria based on parent reports of uh, 1,655 possible cases. And the, the paper is now being retracted by the journal that it was published in. So Dr. Bailey, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all, before we get to the paper? Could you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I am an academic uh, sex researcher. Uh, I've been uh, at Northwestern University since 1989. Uh, my early career, I mainly studied sexual orientation, but I have uh, been branching out in the past 25 or so years uh, to include uh, aspects of transgender, which is what it's now called back when I got started. We called it transsexualism, uh, and times have really changed. Uh, gosh, I have a history of uh, controversy, and uh, I think that this is um, because I uh, say what is true, even if it offends people. I don't say it to offend people, but uh, if something is important and people are not saying it because they uh, are afraid, I am more likely to say it. Uh, I guess one other thing that is worth uh, mentioning specifically in 2003, uh, I published a book called The Man Who Would Be Queen. Uh, that was a popular science book. Uh, and that book provoked some transsexual activists to try to ruin my career and my life and attack people associated with me and so on. Uh, they were not ultimately successful, though it was a very unpleasant experience, much more difficult than the recent controversy. Um, I'm not going to be deterred uh, from studying and writing about these issues. That's we'll, we'll definitely come back to the man who would be queen later. Um, that, so let's start with your paper. It was published, am I right, March 29th? And it was the Rapid Onset Gender Dysphoria, Parent Reports on 1,655 Possible Cases. Now, could you outline the, the paper first of all, and then we'll get to why it's so controversial? Okay. Uh, this paper originated uh, in um, a meeting that I had with um, Susanna Diaz, who is the first author of the paper, who had uh, initiated a survey uh, through the website parentsofrogdkids.com. Uh, and she was recruiting parents 
mainly, who uh, believed that their children have rapid onset gender dysphoria, which is a type, a new type of gender dysphoria, uh, which um, is controversial uh, for various reasons. Uh, but the idea is that uh, adolescents and young adults who never had any uh, indication of being gender dysphoric when they were children uh, come to believe falsely that they are transgender in some kind of conventional sense. Uh, they spread this idea among themselves, among their peer groups, they, Tumblr and so on. And it can get serious so that these uh, uh, youth, mainly natal females, uh, seek medical treatment like testosterone and even uh, uh, surgery like mastectomy. Uh, and it is controversial. Uh, in part, it's controversial because it is new and we don't know much. Uh, that's the understandable reason for controversy. But it is also controversial because it challenges dogma of trans activists who believe, uh, who assert, and I guess they believe that uh, if uh, a young person says they're trans, well, they're trans and uh, there are, uh, is something like uh, innate gender identity that people have, but they, they may go for many years without knowing about it. And then suddenly uh, realize what it is. And also, uh, rapid onset gender dysphoria, first of all, uh, it appears to be the most common kind of gender dysphoria out there right now. There's an epidemic of referrals among uh, adolescent girls. And um, to the extent that these uh, individuals are uh, treated, including medically, uh, it is entirely uh, unwarranted and likely to result in permanent unnecessary damage. That's quite threatening to trans activists who, you know, want all the treatment as soon as possible for all the youth. Right. So I, I read the paper at the time when it was published and what leapt out at me was how forthright, how open and honest you were about its limitations. It's not as if you were trying to bury the, the potential bias in the sample or, or anything like that. So how right. is it? Yeah, I, I apologize. You, you, I, I spent uh, a bit of time talking about rapid onset gender dysphoria without getting to my actual, actual paper. So I'll quickly uh, try to address that. Uh, so again, it originated in a meeting uh, 2018. Uh, when I met Susana Diaz, I saw her present uh, results of this survey, uh, preliminary results, initial results, and I thought was impressed. And I told her uh, that she should uh, try to publish them. And, you know, she's not an academic, and eventually we collaborated, and this paper was the result. Um, the uh, It is based on a survey of parents uh, who were 
anxious about their children uh, spent, you know, a fair amount of time filling this survey out. I don't know exactly how much it's hard for me to imagine anybody could have completed it in less than 30 minutes. Uh, and uh, the among the findings, you know, the, the main findings, first of all, the uh, the youth that the parents reported on were predominantly female, three quarters female. And females and males had some interesting differences that we can talk about later. But um, the females uh, who uh, socially transitioned, that is, they changed their pronouns, their uh, ways of dress and presentation and so on, uh, and, you know, try to present as male if they were natal females. Um, that was, you know, maybe two thirds of females had socially transitioned. And once they socially transitioned, both sexes, once they socially transitioned, if they did, uh, their parents said that they got worse off psychologically, emotionally. And the ones who socially transitioned were, had more pre-existing emotional problems than the ones who did not socially transition. This was also true of the much lower percentage who had medically transitioned. Uh, The most uh, powerful predictor of transition of either kind was having uh, consulted with a gender specialist and parents reported that they felt pressure by gender uh, gender specialists to transition their children. And finally, uh, just I alluded to this, but I didn't say it uh, uh, explicitly. This uh, the the youth parents reported on had uh, a high rate of pre-existing emotional problems. Say about half of them had had uh, a formal diagnosis, and these problems pre-existed any reports of gender problems by about four years. So it's, you know, this is a um, troubled population and uh, there's uh, no good reason to think that these problems were caused by gender issues. And nor would they be solved by medical transition? No, and there was no sign of, by the parents' reports, of improvement in these uh, individuals and these youth, if anything, the opposite. Okay. And so you did draw from the ROGD, Parents of ROGD Kids survey, which I think some people might suggest would would imply bias, but you acknowledge that all the way through the study, it's it's never hidden. So why the, why the controversy? Why, why all the issues now? So we have to distinguish um, two things. One is, what's the real reason behind the controversy? And two, what, is, what are the uh, uh, excuses for attacking the article? Because uh, the people who uh, caused the controversy knew that they couldn't get the article retracted or the editor punished by saying, we don't like this. We hate this idea. <laughs> uh, so instead, uh, the, the, uh, 
the excuses that they used were were two general uh, issues. One uh, was ethical, and I say ethical in scare quotes. Uh, Susana Diaz uh, is not an academic, and she uh, conducted this survey entirely on her own. And in the free world, that's permitted. <laughs> There's, you don't have to get advanced permission to conduct a survey. Uh, and uh, whereas uh, in academia, where I live, uh, you do have to get uh, advanced permission through an institutional review board. Uh, I consulted my institutional review board, IRB, uh, before uh, being a co-author on the paper because I didn't want to get in trouble. And uh, they said, well, you know, she doesn't have to do this. Uh, and uh, you uh, seem to be okay being a co-author on this study uh, since you didn't <laughs> do the uh, survey and collect the data. So um, that's why we uh, uh, submitted the uh, paper and uh, we had to persuade the editor that uh, he was okay uh, sending it out for review and we did persuade him. The other uh, avenue that we've been attacked was, uh, you know, for the methodological limitations, which we fully acknowledge uh, and, you know, they include the fact that uh, we were recruiting on this uh, website uh, and uh, Susanna's explanation of the study uh, made it very clear that uh, this was for people who believed that their kids had ROGD. So parents who didn't believe that were not going to probably participate. Um, so we didn't get those parents. Uh, nevertheless, the ones we got are worth hearing from and knowing about. And uh, there are uh, important findings in our survey that can't be due to that bias. For example, what I mentioned earlier, uh, the fact that transitioners had more problems before transition than the non-transitioners, well, that's a comparison within our study. So it can't be due to, uh, due to biased recruiting. Uh, uh, so, and there are other findings like that. Uh, so the real reason uh, for the attack on our study, I th think I already said, and it is the uh, activist uh, hysterical dislike of the idea of rapid onset gender dysphoria. And uh, I believe that uh, ROGD is a promising uh, hypothesis. I, if I had to bet, I'd bet on it. And I guess in a way I am betting on it because I am uh, setting out to study it more. Uh, but I do not claim that... Uh, the data to date, including our study, proves that it exists. Uh, what I do say is we need more information. Uh, and, you know, our article, uh, I think, is a useful uh, uh, source of information. Uh, and like I say, we're, uh, I am continuing to study this uh, in ways that I can tell you about later.
Right. So this story is, to me, eerily similar to what happened to Lisa Lippman in 2018. And we'll come back to Lisa, the, the Lippman paper, in a moment. But the studies are, it's not uncommon, is it, for study such studies to be based on surveys? This is a, a, this is a, a normal way of going about a study? Surveys are very common. Uh, uh, and in this domain, much of the data that we have is based on surveys, and that includes uh, studies by activists uh, like Jack Turban, who dislikes ROGD. Uh, his uh, uh, publications, I believe, are virtually all surveys. It's, you know, uh, surveys are a very common initial uh, way of uh, trying to illuminate an area. Uh, yeah. So given how common they are, are there any other examples of what's happening to your, your study right now? Is this, is this something that happens to others? The attacks on uh, articles, academic articles, to get them retracted, uh, is a thing primarily on the left right now. And it certainly doesn't happen only in the realm of gender. It also occurs uh, in other hot button areas like race, for example. Uh, and it's, you know, it's fairly recent. You know, I, I believe... Um, that retraction should only occur for two reasons that I can think of. One is fraud. Uh, if somebody has made up data, uh, that article should be retracted. Uh, the other is plagiarism. If somebody publishes somebody else's work, <laughs> uh, that should be retracted uh, so that the person who did the work gets the credit. Uh, but reasons like this flimsy uh, excuse that uh, Springer Nature publisher uh, has used to retract our article, uh, lack of uh, consent of study participants. It, it's ridiculous. It's recent uh, that uh, publishers are using these very broad reasons outside of the traditional reasons to retract articles. Um, uh, so, you know, I'm sure that uh, Lisa Lippman's article, I'm sure that people were trying to get it retracted. Uh, in fact, uh, I remember that controversy well. I wrote the uh, editor of PLOS One, where her initial article was published, uh, beseeching them not to give in to the activists. And of course they, they did to some degree, uh, though they didn't, they fortunately did not retract her article, but they did ma uh, make her revise the article entirely unnecessarily. And the, the revised article is quite good as well and says everything important uh, that needed to be said. Uh, but she shouldn't have had to go through that. Uh, and, you know, her article had similar limitations to ours, which were entirely acknowledged. And these limitations are similar to limitations 
uh, of surveys uh, from, quote, the other side. And I, I say, quote, because I don't really feel like I'm on a side, a political side. I'm on the side of scholarship and knowledge and information. We've reached the end of this episode of the free version of Public's podcast. To access the full version, become a paying subscriber at public.substack.com.